0: I say, I'm happy to be here tonight, thankful for the privilege and opportunity to speak to you. I've known Brother Jacobs for probably about 10 years now, and uh, I've enjoyed fellowship with him, and known Brother Rice for a couple of, couple of years now, and as Brother Jacobs said that I'm assistant pastor at Maryland Avenue Baptist Church, we don't have services right now on Sunday nights, thank you. <laughs> so I'm able to get out and visit some other churches on Sunday nights, and come in here and enjoy enjoying. Brother Rice's lessons on uh, Romans, and I've come before, and I've heard Brother Jacobs preach soon, and enjoy their their fellowship and their preaching night. If you will, take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 72. Psalm 72, preachers many times get their ideas for from, from messages from different sources. Sometimes they, they read a book, and there's something that jumps out of that book and gives them an idea. Some may read a poem. Some may hear another preacher preach, and they don't really take their sermon, but there's something in their sermon that, hey, that that part of the sermon would make a good sermon. I heard a song some years ago, and the more I heard it, I thought that would make a good message to build upon. And maybe you've heard the song before, and it's called The God of the Mountain. The words go like this, life is easy when you're up on the mountain. You've got peace of mind like you'd never known. But things change when you're down in the valley. Don't lose faith, for you're never alone. For the God of the mountain is still the God of the valley. When things go wrong, he'll make them right. The God of the good times is still the God of the bad times. The God of the day is still God of the night. Talk of faith when you're on the mountain, but talk comes easy when life's at its best. But it's down in the valley of trials and temptations. That's where your faith is really put to the set, test. For the God of the mountain is still God of the valley. When thieves go wrong, he'll make them right. The God of the good times is still God of the bad times. The God of the day is still God of the night. In Psalm 72, verses 1 and 2, we read these verses Give to thy king thy judgments, O God, and thy righteousness unto the king's son. He shall judge the people with righteousness, and the poor with judgment. The mountains shall bring peace to people, and the little hills shall by righteousness. Then, of course, a very familiar verse that we all know, Psalm 23, 4 says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff comfort me. These verses, we see two places that the writers mention. In our lives, we are either on the mountaintop or we're down in the valley. Someone once said that You're either in a valley right now, or you've just come out of the valley, or you're about to go through a valley. You know, climbing mountaintops, you can't go from one mountaintop to another. When we lived in Pennsylvania, and we used to go go mountain climbing, and we'd climb up on the mountain, we'd get to the top, and if we wanted to get to the next mountaintop over there, we couldn't just jump from that top and jump over to the other one. We had to go down that mountain be down in the valley do we go up to the next mountain. When things are going well in our lives, when the bills are paid, when our health is good, we have money in the bank, the family's good in health, things work out great, the car is running well, all things are working well, we say, isn't God good? God has blessed me. Isn't this wonderful? I just couldn't be any better all at once, here comes that fiery dart of Satan. He says, you want to bet? He says, you think that you are doing so great? Just wait. You're not going to be on that mountaintop for long. I'm going to bring you down to the valley. I'm going to bring you down, and I'm going to get you discouraged. I'm going to get you defeated. I'm going to get you to not praise God so much. You know, Paul said, Let him that take heed, let him that stand take heed lest he fall. Peter gives us the warning in 2 Peter 5 7 Be sober, be vigilant. The adversary of the devil walks around walking around who seeking him, he may devour. You know, we who are saved, we are born again, we know that Satan cannot get our soul. We know he's lost it. We know we are secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. But he's going to get us discouraged. He wants to get us to doubt our faith. He wants us to get to doubt God. He wants to get us defeated, so he'll do everything he can to do so. That's why Paul says, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you'll be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We have to have that completely guarded. You know, we hear that verse, and we think of that verse, and we, we think of that verse, we've heard it many times. It's like this book. It's just a book of empty pages. We, we see it, and we hear it, and we say, well, yeah, yeah, that's good. That, that's, that's good reading. I, I like that. But then you know what happens? We read that verse. We know that verse. But then the valleys come, the hard times come, and read those verses, and then we begin to get the full picture of what God's talking about. And then the further we go, and the further we go on life, and the further things happen, and the more those valleys come, and we really trust on God. And then those verses really come to life because then we get the full picture of what God has done for us. We are on the mountaintop, and then the valley comes. You go into work, and the boss gives you a hard time. There's a conflict with a co-worker. The car breaks down again. A couple days later, the washer or the dryer breaks down. We get a bad report from a doctor. We get some bad news because of, of, of a loved one. We've heard of a loved one has gotten sick or is in the hospital or has uh, some uh, disease that come upon him. Now I've had those times in my life. I've had those times when I've gotten the bad reports. But I think the one that sticks out in my mind most was back in 1968. I know that's a long time ago. I was 18 years old. My brother, who was two years older than me, was in the Marines. He was stationed in Vietnam. I remember that day, standing in the kitchen, looking out the window, and seeing a military car come up a driveway. I saw two military men walk up to the house and knock on the door. Handed my mom and dad a telegram. They said, we regret to inform you. That your son, Corporal Joseph Miller, has been seriously injured, is in critical condition. Seriously injured in the Battle of Khe is in a hospital in Japan. That hit us hard. We were down in the valley. As my brother got better and he came home, he, he told us, he said, I almost didn't make it. He said that they were gathering up the wounded. And he said they were leaving the dead to go because they had to get the wounded on on board the helicopter to get them help. He said the two guys came down by me and he says there was blood all around me from the three holes I had in my arm and six holes I had in my leg. And he said there was so much blood, one of the guys said, let me go, he's gone. He moved his finger. because they heard him. He said, he's okay. He's not okay, but he's alive. They picked him up, took him to the hospital and stationed him in Japan. Three months later, my dad had a massive heart attack and died. We're down in the valley again. He wanted to come home for dad's funeral. We didn't know how. We was going to get him home. My mom contacted the Red Cross and told told them where the funeral was. And they said, look, we can can get him as far as St. Louis if you can have somebody in St. Louis there to pick him up. Well, there's no way. There's no way we could pick him up at the time the plane was landing in St. Louis to get a car and drive him clear back from St. Louis, back to Akron. Besides that, he couldn't ride in a car that far. So my mom made a phone call to Goodyear, that's where my dad worked, and he was really close to the officers of the union there, and the union president says, let me me see what I can do. He called back a couple of hours later and he said, contact Red Cross. Have them have a the plane there in St. Louis. He said, Goodyear's gonna fly their, their private jet out to bring it home. God was with us. God was with us. You know, we we say these things, and these things happen, we say, Where is God? God, I thought you were on my side because we're going down through the valley. But praise God, God will never leave us and never forsake us. Why? Because he's the God of the valley. He's the God of the mountain. Jesus' closing words to his disciples was, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. The Bible tells us the rain falls on the just and the sun unjust just alike because we are an imperfect people that live in an imperfect world, including ourselves, and we're going to have those times. We're going to have those times of testing and temptation. We're going to have those bad times. We're going to go through those, those valleys that we have to go through. So we're going through the valley tops. We're on the mountaintops. We go down through the valley, and we want to quit. Sometimes you ever gotten in that valley, and it's gotten so bad you just want to quit, you just want to give up. That happened to me a number of years ago when we were in Pennsylvania. We were going through some deep valleys. The church we were attending, there were some problems in the church. We were going through some financial difficulties. We were having problems with one of our kids, and something happened, and I walked in, I sat down at the kitchen table, and I told Penny, I said, that's it. I said, I quit. I'm done. I said, I'm done with the ministry. I'm done with church. I'm done with God. I quit. And I expected her to agree with me because she was going through the same three things. But men, you know how sometimes that our wives just know what to say at the right time. She turned around and she looked at me, and she said, if that's what you want to do, go ahead and do it. But just remember one thing. I said, what's that? She said, you've just surrendered to Satan. You've just given Satan the victory. So go ahead and quit, and you deal with it. It It's like she hit me over the head with a two-by-four. I couldn't say anything. I had to just get up and walk away, be by myself. And I come back and I said, I'm not quitting. I said, he's won this battle. He's not going to win me. I'm going to continue on for God. That's the way things go. That's the way things happen in our lives. We can praise God that he's, he's still with us. I'm sure you can guess by this time that the title of my message would be, The God of the Mountain is the God of the Valley. Why? Because God is faithful. Deuteronomy 7, 9 says, Know ye therefore that the Lord thy God, He is, a, he is God. He is a faithful God. 1 Corinthians 1, 9 says, God is faithful by whom we are called. 1 Corinthians 10:13: There's no temptation taken with such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who not suffer to be tempted above all that ye are able, but will, the temptation make a way that ye escape that may be able to bear it. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, faithless he has called you, who also do it. Lamentations 3.22 and 23, is the Lord's mercy we are not consumed, because his because compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. David knew what it was like to be in the mountaintop and in the valleys. David was from a good family. His dad was Jesse. His grandfather, Obed. His great-great-grandfather, Boaz, and his great-great-grandmother, Ruth. His family was prosperous. He had seven brothers. He was a shepherd and he was a good shepherd because remember when he went out to fight Goliath and Saul said you can't do it and David says hey look he said I was tending my sheep and a bear came out and a lion came out and I went after him, and I killed that bear and that lion. God helped me over that bear and lion go God helped me against this uncircumcised Philistine. He was anointed as a young teenager to become the second king after God was going to take the kingdom from Saul. He slew Goliath. He served in the king's in King Saul's court, as his armor bearer and as his musician, he became close friends with Jonathan, the king's son. and And think about that: from being a, a shepherd on a hillside, in the king's palace, he's living on the mountaintop. David thinks, "Man, this, this can't get this can't get any better." Saul sets him over his kingdom. Saul's kingdom and Saul's Uh, And Saul's servant family accepts him. The people honor him. He goes out to battle against the Philistines, and he's coming back from the battle. And people are saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David has ten thousands. David's like, wow, look what I've accomplished. Ain't this great? He's living on the mountaintop. The valley's about to come. Saul gets jealous of David and envies him. One day, while he's playing his harp, Saul takes his javelin and throws it at David. He's removed from Saul's presence and he, he's sent out into battle. But again, he's headed for the mountaintop. Saul says, David, if you will go and you will kill a hundred Philistines and you will bring me proof that you slain, to the, slain them, he said, I will give you my wife, Macal, I'll give you my daughter, Macal, as your wife. David goes out. He kills those hundred Philistines besides a hundred more. He brings the proof back to King Saul. Michal becomes becomes David's wife. Saul knew that the Lord was with David. David continues to serve over the the army and continues to have victories, and then he's become again to the next valley. Saul continues to send him in the valley, hoping he will get killed. Saul tells his in 1 Samuel 19, Saul tells his, Jonathan and his servants that he wants David to be killed. Well, David's in the valley again, but he's about to go on the mountaintop again. Saul talks to his father and gets him to rethink of the things he said about David. And, and Saul says, okay, I was wrong. Let, let him come back into the, let him come back into the palace again. And so he comes back into the palace again. Again, he's playing his harp for for, for Saul, again he goes out in the battle, again he's winning victories. All seems to be well. He's back on the mountaintop again. God's with me. All right. I'm great. Satan says, mm, I don't think so, David. One day the Bible tells us in Psalm or in First Samuel 19, 9 and 10 that an evil spirit comes upon Saul. Saul once again throws his javelin. At the and the king, he says, I'll smite you to the wall. David escapes out of, his, out of him, and he goes to his home, to his Macal. and Saul says to his servants, go to David's house and bring David to me. Well, Macal knows what's going on. So she helps David escape, and she takes an image, and she, she puts it in David's bed and puts some hair, there so it looks like his head's on, on, the, on the pillow and up with his blanket, and the servants come, and she says, well, he's sick. He can't come see the king right now. So they go back and tell the king. They say, king, he's sick. He can't come. He says, go and pick up the bed and bring it here. So they go back to the house. They pick up the bed. They don't look. They, they take it back to the palace, set it before the king. He thinks, I got you. You're sick. Now I'm able to look. He pulls the blanket back, and there's an image. David's on the run now. He's on the run from from King Saul, and then through the next several years, there's, day, there's times of mountain and valleys to so David, he, he flees from Saul. And Saul is constantly after him and wants to kill him, and David always escapes. But because God is always faithful, because he's the God of the mountain, He's still God in the valley. He's the God of the good times, he's the God of the bad times. He's the God of the day, he's the God of the night. That's the way he was with David. After a number of years, Saul and Jonathan are killed in battle, and David has his next mountaintop. He's anointed to be king, but the valley part of it, he's only anointed to be king over Judah. The rest of Israel rejects him. Abner, the captain of Seahawks' army, anoints Ishboth, one of Saul's sons, to be the king over Israel. For the next seven years, there's constant battle between Judah and Israel, but David's kingdom increases, and ish gets weaker. And finally, David is at the pinnacle of the mountaintop. When he's finally anointed for the third time, he's anointed as king over all of Israel. Now, in the Old Testament, oil represents the Holy Spirit. And when different people would be anointed as as a king or as a prophet or or as a priest, they'd pour pour oil on them, showing them that the Holy Spirit has come upon them. You know, the thing is, everyone that are here tonight that are Christians, that know Christ as their Savior, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Because the moment we get say, the Holy Spirit comes within us. But the sad thing, many Christians have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them but they're not controlled by the Spirit. Paul says, if you give to the flesh, you're going to weep the things of the flesh to do the things of the flesh. But if you give to the Spirit, you're going to weep the things of the Spirit. And even though we have the Holy Spirit within us, we're not all filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm not talking about the way the, the Pentecostals say that. You've got to speak in tongues to have the Holy Spirit. No, in order to be filled with the Holy Spirit, all we've got to do is empty ourselves. You know, if I had a glass up here tonight, and I had a, maybe a little pebble in it, and I had the and, and had the, rest of the, water fill, the rest of the glass filled with water, that glass is not completely filled with water because it has that little pebble in it. And that's why many Christians... They have things in their lives, things in their heart, that the Holy Spirit cannot fill us because we're not emptied of ourselves. And David would, would, got these three different anointings from him, and, and, and he had got fresh uh, thing for the Holy Spirit from God to come upon him. There was a preacher some years ago, that he used to preach a sermon that uh, he would preach it over and over again because people loved to hear it. It's called fresh oil. They talk about how we need that fresh oil. We need that fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit. And that's what David, David was getting. So, so David now, he's at the pinnacle of his temple. He, he, he's king. He, he continues to rule, rule over Israel's enemies. He even brings back the Ark of the Covenant. Israel. A hundred years before, Israel had gone to fight against the Philistines. And Eli, who was a priest at that time, as is recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 1, Eli, who was a priest at that time, his two sons, Hophni and Phineas, are killed in battle, and the Ark of the Covenant is captured by the Philistines. And remember, when they bring the word back to Eli, and they say, "Eli, we've lost the battle, and your two sons are slain in battle, and the Ark of the Covenant has been captured." After the guy says the Ark of the Covenant has been captured, it says, "Eli fell off of his chair." broke his neck. Oh, he was sad about his sons being killed in battle. He was sad that Israel had lost the battle, but when he hears the ark of God is taken, he's really down in the valley. Philistines take the ark, and of course, God brings judgment upon them because they have the ark, so they they get rid of it. They take it to another Philistine city, and they said, we don't want it, so they take it to a a guy's house and leave it with him. God blesses him for it. Well, David finally is able to go to that guy's house. He's finally able to get the ark. He brings the ark back to Jerusalem. He's really doing great now. He's really up on that that mountaintop. His kingdom is multiplying. He's getting victory over his enemies. God's blessing him until that dreadful night. The Bible says when kings go forth to battle and David stayed at home, goes out on the porch, looks over next door, and sees Bathsheba. And he lusts. He says, get her for me. Bathsheba comes into here. He commits immorality with Bathsheba. Bathsheba sends him word that she's with child, and David says, i got to cover the sin up. So he sends for Uriah and tries to get Uriah to go down to his, down to his house, and he doesn't do so, and Two different times, so David says, okay, I, I got to do away with this. So he sends word to his general, Joab, and he says, put Uriah in the forefront of the battle and withdraw, so he's killed. He does so, and so David now is with Bathsheba. Nathan, the prophet, comes to him, and he says, king, we have a problem. He says, there's a guy in our kingdom. He has, he has many, many sheep. And he says, his neighbor just had one lowly sheep, and he had a friend come To visit him, and and the rich man, he didn't take one of his hundreds and hundreds of sheep he had, but he took that one lowly man's sheep and slew it. David says, he'll pay fourfold for that. Nathan points his finger and says, thou art the man. David knew what he was talking about. David had multiple wives right then, but he had to have Bathsheba. He says he's going to pay fourfold, and David did. That she was, baby died. David's one son, Amon, raped his half sister Tamar. Absalom, Tamar's full brother, kills Amon. Amon rebels against David, tries to see the kingdom from him. David said he's going to pay fourfold for stealing that sheep. David paid fourfold. Exactly, he said. Eventually, Absalom dies and
1: Later on, another
0: son, Ado-giant, tried to take the king from the kingdom. Yes, David had his mountaintop experiences. David had his valleys. But David realized this. In my darkest valley, God is forever faithful. Because the God of the mountain is still God in the valley. The God of the good times He's still, God of the bad times, the God of the day, He's still God in the night. Another individual that I want to look at quickly that had lots of valleys and mountaintops experience was Joseph. Joseph, the eleventh son of Jacob, from his beloved Rachel. He had ten older brothers and one older sister, and one younger brother, Benjamin. We know besides Rachel, Jacob had married Leah and Rachel's older sister and had two concubines. Between between Leah and two concubines, they had many children. And finally, when Rachel gave birth to Joseph and had been to Benjamin, Jacob ended up having 13 children. Now, think about this. We know the story. Jacob had gone to Laban's house, his uncle's house, and had served him for some time, and Laban says, uh, look, you've served me for for a while," he said. "I, I want to pay you for your wages." He said, I pay "My daughter Rachel for your wife." Jacob says, "Okay." We know the story. The night of the wedding, he realizes he's gotten Leah instead. He said, hey, "What's going on here?" And Laban says, "It's not right for me to give the younger before the older, so you have to have her." So he serves another seven years. Men, how would have you liked to have to serve your future father-in-law for 14 years before you get your wife to marry? Now, I love my father-in-law. We had some good discussions together. We had a good time together. But there's two things that we disagreed on sharply. And I hope I don't offend anybody by this, but my father-in-law was a diehard Democrat. I was a die-hard Republican, so we had our battles when it came to election time. I guess the greatest battle we had was, sad to say, he was a die-hard Nick fan. I was a die-hard Cleveland Browns fan, so we had our battles. Whether I could have served him for 14 years to marry Penny, I don't know. but Jacob did or Joseph did Joseph was Jacob's favorite son maybe he got the easiest chores now parents it's not right for us to have a favorite it's not right to have one child above the other but Jacob did he loved Joseph Joseph probably got the easiest chores Joseph got the best birthdays. Joseph had parties and friends over all the time. Other friends said, why does Joseph always get to have his friends over? I never get to have my friends over. Maybe you were the favorite when you were growing up, parents. Or maybe you weren't the favorite. Maybe you have children and one of them is a favorite and one of them is not. You can know what happens when those things happen amongst siblings in the household. Jacob was really loved. Joseph is on the mountaintop. He has a good family. He has a fine home. His family's prosperous. One day he tells his brothers of a dream. He said, You know, I had this dream, and he said, there was 11 stock of corn sprung up, and he said, then my stock of corn sprung up. It was higher than yours, and yours bowed down to me. And what are you talking about? You little punk. Later on, he has another dream. and says, I saw all the stars of heaven, planets of heaven. They bowed down. I mean, he didn't even said, what is wrong with you? You're your favorite, but nobody's ever going to bow down to you, boy. Well, we know the story. Jacob one day sends his sons out to find Joseph, and they say, hey, here comes that dreamer of dreams. They capture him, and they throw him into, into a pit. Joseph now is in a pit. He's down in the valley. They're going to kill him. Reuben rescues him out of his hand He says, let's not do such the God. You see the Midianites coming. They sell Joseph into the hands of the Midianites, take his coat and put it, gifts it in blood and takes it to Jacob and shows, look, your, your, your youngest, your, your favorite son, Joseph, has been torn apart by animals, and Joseph's really down in the valley now. He ends up in Egypt, sold into slavery. He's in a strange land amongst one of the enemies of Israel. Strange people, strange customs, foreign language. From living in the home as a favored son on a mountaintop to be down in the valley as a slave. We see something repeated in the book of Genesis time and time again with the life of Joseph. That's the phrase that says, and God was with Joseph. Why? Because God had a plan for him. Because God is forever faithful. He's the God of the mountain. He's the God of the valley. A slave in Egypt on the mountain, he's about to be on the mountaintop since in a way. He, he ends up as a slave, but he's, he's serving in the house of Potiphar. He doesn't have as hard chores and hardest work as some of the other, the, the, the other slaves do there. And, He's he's doing good. He's living on the mountaintop. He's he's yes. He's in a foreign land. Since he's in the mountaintop, at least he's not out there in the harsh sun with the other slaves. But he's in, in the house of Partifar, and we know what happens. Mrs. Partifar lies about him. He ends up in prison. He's in the valley. For some reason, the keeper of the prison likes Joseph and puts him in charge of the, all the other prisoners. So he's a little bit on the valley, a little bit on the mountaintop again. And then we know the story that the two, the butler and the baker, have a dream, and, and they tell the dream to Joseph. And Joseph says, well, to the butler, he says, look, he says, you, you saw this basket of, of bread sitting on your, on, your, on your head, and he says, the bird's coming down, and he says, in three days, Pharaoh's going to take your head from you. The butler, he gets his dream about the grapes, and he says, in three days, you've got to restore it to your kingdom. And, and that happens, and three days later, and Joseph, as the butler's leaving, Joseph says, hey, don't forget to tell Pharaoh about me, because I'm in here, I'm in here, and, and I'm not guilty of anything. Butler says, okay. A week pass, a month, six months, a year. Joseph doesn't hear anything. Then we know Pharaoh was having a party, and Pharaoh has a dream. And he can't get the interpretation of the dream. And, and the butler says, Oh man, he said, I forgot. I remember. He said, When I was in prison, he said, You, he said, you had me and, and the baker thrown in prison, and we had a dream, and, and we told it to, to this. Hebrew that's down there and he gave us interpretation. Surely he can give you the interpretation. He brings Joseph out, gives him the interpretation. We know the rest of the story. Joseph was made second in charge in Egypt. He's on the mountaintop again. He's living great. He's doing great. And we know. What happens? We know that he ends up there and that's the way his, his life ends. His, end, his life ends on the mountaintop. He's able to bring his family down into Egypt. We don't have time to know the whole story, but you know how his brothers come down and brought by corn because of the famine and, and after some time Joseph reveals to them that he's Joseph and he brings all of his brothers and, and his father down down in and, and God is with them. And God's watching over them. We could look at so many others tonight that had mountaintop and valleys of experiences. We could think of Moses, Ruth, Elijah, Abraham. We could go on and on and on. People have mountaintop experiences. I'm wondering, where are you tonight? Are you on the mountaintop right now? Are you praising God and thanking Him because you're on the mountaintop and everything's going through, or are you... Just come through a valley. or are you in a valley? And you just don't know what you're going to do. You just don't know how you're going to get through this valley. But be assured, brothers and sisters, God is forever faithful. The God of the mountain is the God in the valley. The God of the good times is the God of the bad times. The God of the day is... God of the night. When we think about this, I, I think of a verse that in Ephesians 3 20 and 21. And Paul says, I had it memorized, but I'm going to look it up so I don't misquote it. Ephesians 3 20, and 21. Paul says, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly, above all who ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. When we lived in Pennsylvania, I had bought this car. It was an old car, some kind of a Chevy. I don't remember what it was, was like. It was an old black car. It was beat up. My kids called it the beast. I paid $400 for it from a friend of mine. I went, my wife and, and, and two of my sons went, to another church. I was a candidate and at a church. And when I come back, I found out that my older son had wrecked the car. I called the insurance company. They come out. They looked at it. They just looked at it. And he said, well, Mr. Miller, it's totaled. I thought to myself, well, yeah, only $400 insurance total. He says, so, he said, we're going we're gonna to total it out. He said, but he says, the dashboard is cracked. So i got to take off money for that. He said, the air conditioning don't work. i got to take money off for that. There's something else. I said, i got to take money off for that. He said, sir, I'm sorry. The only thing I can get, all I can give you for it is $1,100. Okay. (laughs) I thought the book value must be more than I thought. I thought I paid $400, give me $1,100. He said, okay. He says, insurance will be calling you later on. So they called me later on. He went through the same thing. He said, I only give you $1,100. I said, okay. He said, but you have two days, and you've got to turn in the rental car. I said, I don't have a rental car. He said, you didn't get a rental car? I said, no, we had another car. We didn't need another car. Oh, okay, well, I'm going to give you $300 more. Because Paul said, unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. You know something about the valleys we go through? You ever notice this? Sometimes the greatest valley comes after the greatest blessing. When I was at school at Bob Jones, there was a group of us that used to go up to a place called Tri-City, North Carolina every Friday night. There was usually two carloads. We had five rest homes, a jail ministry, did a street meeting, and passed out tracks in front of two movie theaters. This one Friday night was on our way up there, and it was pouring down rain. We said, well, there goes the street meetings. There goes the passing out tracks in front of the movie houses because everybody were running for their cars. All we're going to get to do tonight is the, is the rest home and, and the jail ministry. But by the time we got done with the rest homes and the jail ministry, the rain had stopped. It was too late to do the, the street meeting, but we still passed out tracks. But anyhow, on the way up, this is where Jeremiah 33.3 3 comes real come rule to me. He says, call unto me, and I'll answer thee and show thee great and mighty things thou knowest not. On the way up, we prayed, God, you know, this is an hour and a half up there to Tri-City. It's a long night, a long drive up there, a long drive back home. Give us one soul for the night. Please, God, just just give us one. Well, when we got done with the jail ministry, the rest of the ministries, and passing out tracks, we, we always met at a drive-in theater to discuss how things went. God said, I'm giving you that one soul, plus 22 more. Twenty-three people got saved that night, most that we'd ever had. We were on the mountaintop. We were rejoicing, praising God. On the way back, the car I was in, we were singing that song, if you're saved, then you know it, clap your hands saved and you know it Stomped your feet for some reason the guy in the back seat said if you're saved to know it have a wreck boom we got hit in the back end got spun over to the other lane luckily no cars were coming the other car combined they saw us of course this was before cell phone days so they said we'll we'll go down the road here we'll find a pay so- phone we'll we'll call the university so they can send another car up to get you in a, and call a co truck to Throw the car back to university. We're still rejoicing over the 23 that were saved that night. The guy's gone for a while, and he comes back and he looks white as a sheet. He said, "Wayne, what's wrong?" He said, "That car that hit you guys just ran two other cars off the road, down the road, and went off an embankment into some trees." He says, as I bring the body up from the wreck. He said, the one guy in the stretcher was a guy that I just witnessed to a couple hours ago at the jail. He said, no, I don't want to get saved tonight. I'm getting out. Now I've been locked up for a few months. I'm going to rejoice and I'm going to have a good time. He was taken out to eternity. He was on the mountaintop. Now we're down in the valley. Oh, we were still rejoicing with 23 that were saved. But we're still a little bit discouraged. God said, I'm going to bring you back on the mountaintop. Because the next Friday night, we went up. One of the young men that had been saved the previous week met the guy that had given the track and witnessed to him He said, look, can you do me a favor? The guy says, sure, what? He said, I was so excited last week when I got saved. He said, I went home, and I told my mom, my dad, my brother and sister about it. He said, I don't know if I did everything right, but he said, I told them the same things that you told me that I could remember, and they prayed the same prayer and asked Christ into their heart. He said, can you come home with me tonight? Make sure I did it right. He said, yes. Went home and talked to mom and dad and brother and sister and went through the plan of salvation and everything again, and they knew they trusted Christ. God says, hey, you were down in the valley, but now you're on the mountaintop. Because from that family being saved and others that were saved, eventually a Bible study was started, and that Bible study turned into an independent Baptist church. Why? god is forever faithful the god of the mountain so god of the valley and wherever you are tonight god is with you on the mountaintop in the valley he'll bring you through that valley because god is forever To bow in our eyes closed for just a moment, if you would do that, please. Our PDS will begin to play. Perhaps God has spoken to your heart tonight. Maybe something to send the message. Maybe some other thing God's dealing with your heart about. While we wait just a moment, she begins to play. Come, if God's spoken to your heart, maybe you need to pray for a moment at the altar and go back to your seat. Whatever God would lead you to do. Maybe some other spiritual decision while we wait just a moment. Maybe you would take the moment in the pew with your head bowed. And just talk to the Lord about it right there too. Either way, be fine while we wait just a moment. If you look this way for just the. moment,